Every Sunday before we read the scripture reading, we have a prayer for illumination. Um, And you're getting your prayer from illumination on high today as I'm up in the balcony. Um, But every Sunday we pray that God would open our hearts to see and to hear and to receive God's word. Just as the lights are lit on the Advent wreath candle and the lights are on this Christmas tree, we pray that God would enlighten our hearts to hear. So let's pray together. Holy, loving God, you are the light in the darkness of this world, and your word provides a lamp to our feet and our light to our path. We pray that as we listen to your word today, your spirit would speak to us to give us light in the midst of the darkness of the world around us and to guide our feet in the path of peace. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our first scripture this morning is found in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. second scripture reading comes from Romans 8, verses 18 through 27. In this passage, Paul is writing a note of encouragement to the Christians in Rome. A note about the future and the way that God consoles us. So let's listen to that right now. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. 
for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we, we, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the work, to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So sometimes I'm asked a question, what is it that you enjoy about being a pastor? And my, uh, my answer is often based on my age, and I'm assuming that it will change over time perhaps, but maybe it won't. And that's because I, I see the incredible value of the honor it is to walk with you all through, through life in the different places where you are. I love the moments of being invited in to sprinkle water on a, a baby or, or someone's head or to commit someone to the ground with loved ones all around. And... and everything in between. But I remember my first real wake-up call as a pastor. It was only a week or two into my time here at Linwood, and the office received a call uh, from a woman who is uh, loosely connected to Linwood who said that her, her father had died. And after connecting and working through the details for the funeral, we agreed to meet in my office the following day. And there are, there are a couple things that I remember from that meeting. The first is that our, our office manager, Jan, uh, welcomed them into my office and sat them down because I was out at the moment. And upon entering the room, they just looked at me like, <laughs> what? Who in, the, who in the devil are you? <laughs> to which I uh, stuck out a hand and said, hi, I'm Garrett. I'm the pastor here. And they're like, oh, okay. Okay, you're, we're expecting a little, someone a little older, just a little older, not so young. But more importantly, uh, I remember this moment there afterward as we struggled through this cloak of, of awkwardness around what we were there to discuss, the death of her dad. And the awkwardness was more than just the feeling about mistaking me to be the youth pastor. It was more than the awkwardness of that small talk that happens as you're getting to know someone. It was more even than the awkwardness of, of me figuring it out for the first time, how to walk through doing a funeral. The thing that I was running into, the awkwardness there in that moment was actually talking about death. And it was palpable. Funny thing how we were there to talk about a loved one who had died, but it was the most difficult thing we could do even though it was hitting us in the face. And it was hitting me in the face. I, I was having trouble saying the word death and died and dead. And they too were visibly uncomfortable. 
And so we try to lighten the moment with humor and distract ourselves by telling rich stories, which is an important thing to do in those moments. But all the while, we were trying to keep the elephant in the room named death at bay and not crashing upon the coffee table, let alone us. And it was in that moment that I realized that up until that point of my 24 years on this earth that I really hadn't encountered death. Sure, I had visited people while they were in the hospital and nearing the end, and there were moments when I attended funerals for friends or family, but they were brief instances. Never did I have to really wrestle with the physical and dreaded grasp of death and life. And I realized in that moment that in our culture, we don't talk about death very much either. We don't like to, and it isn't easy. And I don't think it really ever has been easy in the course of of human history to talk about and process the death of a loved one. But in our own culture particularly, death is such a foreign reality that when it happens, it happens quickly and it goes, even while we're still hoping to process some of it in that moment. And as I was meeting with this family, and as I was wrestling with these thoughts, I remembered uh, a program on uh, National Public Radio called On Dying, about funerals. And the person was charting a history of the very personal and communal process of funerals in the course of, of, of American history. The details are a bit fuzzy to me right now, but in all, Funerals were, were this process of taking care of loved ones that was literally in-house, a responsibility only changing very recently. Now, for the, the, the first couple hundred years of our country, the process of seeing loved ones to their grave was very similar around the country. The family would take the body and clean it and lay it out in the house for the community to come and grieve together. Only after that took place would the body be placed in a coffin made by the local community cabinet maker before being laid and committed to the ground. The process of dying happened at home or in hospitals, and the death most often happened at home, and the body was cared for while at home as well. And what I learned is that Death was no stranger to people or to their homes. It wasn't foreign, but familiar. It wasn't alien, but personal. And it was this beautiful process of dying, of death, of burying one's loved one as this last caring act for someone, wherein I think it helped that person who was meeting life's end and also the family and the loved ones there also being able to process that moment together and work through that loss at that moment. I wouldn't say death got any easier, or was any easier than it is now, or more common a thing, but what I will say is that in this way that I'm describing, death was a very human thing. 
a very integral part of the human experience. Committing the dead to the ground by preparing them ourselves is a part of being human and being alive. Death was a part of being human. But that changed a bit over time with the rise of the profession of, of funeral directors and funeral homes. And death went from being human, in a certain sense, went from personal to being professional. For centuries, humans had this process of laying loved ones to rest, but in the last hundred years or so, it's been taken from the personal place of our homes and communities to having the loved one we whisked away to this professional procedure done before it's laid in the ground. And in this way, what makes me sad about this is that, that, that dying and death have become somewhat impersonalized from the ways that we have known in this country and the ways that humans have done it throughout history. The whole messy process of working through our grief and the experience of closure is no longer there in the particular way that it once was. And so I was processing this as I sat with those two women there that day. And I came to realize that perhaps my job as a pastor was to invite them into what was uncomfortable. Not that in a, an hour I could make death be familiar or any easier, but rather that my job as a pastor took on significance because I was representing God, the good shepherd, who leads us through that dark valley. And my job was about being representative of Jesus, the good shepherd, to lead them to know that encountering death and encountering these trials is all a part of being human, and God is there the whole way. I learned a lot about that, my job that day. I learned a lot about death because I think that our aversion to death and dying and discomfort is similar to our aversion to speak, think, or encounter other difficult things in our lives. We live in a culture and time that prizes a certain value system where everything has to be perfect, everything has to be okay, so, so that there can't be anything wrong, which is why when we ask each other, how's it going, we only say, oh, it's good. And rarely what's really going on, even to those we feel like we can share with. It's a difficult process to work through our grief and process our emotions. It's not a very easy thing, and there's no a successful route through process dying or death or what's difficult. And yet, to not confront death, to not confront the parts of our world that are unjust or wrong or evil, to never look at the news or take a glance at what's stirring in our soul is to just push us away from ourselves. In the same way that funerals have become impersonal and prevents us from really having a human experience around death, so when we push aside what's wrong in the world or wrong in our lives, we're pushing away an opportunity to be human. We push away an opportunity to live in our own skin. And if nothing else, Advent teaches us about God that loves us so much that God would come wrapped in skin to show us how to live within our own skin so that we don't have to be afraid of what's wrong, but to confront it and the power that he gives us so that through confrontation, these things can be transformed. And this is why we're looking at lament here in this season. 
so that by understanding lament and the importance of this faithful posture in our lives, we're able to become more fully what God meant for us to be. So that when we understand the power of lament, we're able to live more fully into our relationship with God, but also to ourselves and to each other. Whenever I think about lament, I think immediately of a professor that I had in seminary. His name is Dr. Todd Billings. Um, when he was 39 years old, he was diagnosed with an incurable cancer. Uh, Dr. Billings is a man who uh, is a brilliant theologian. He's written many books, and he, upon this journey of wrestling with this part of his life that he was now holding, uh, wrote a book about lament. And there's a line that he shared in one of the classes that I took with him that has continued to stick with me and pester me. He said this, Lament is a declaration of trust in God. Lament is a declaration of trust in God. That was such a different concept for me because I often think of lament as being angry or pushing away from God in some way. But he was saying that lament is actually trusting God enough to tell God what's going on in our lives. And lament first states what we believe to be true about God's character. For example, believing that God is good or just or loving. And then second, lament then mourns those aspects of God's character that are not showing up in our lives or in the world. And finally, Lament says what we are longing for from God. So all that to say, an example of a prayer of lament might look like this. God, I know that you are just. So why then are unjust rulers allowed to exploit the poor and bring about war? I'm longing for a world where all people will be cared for. Lament is a natural, true expression of prayer. Prayers of lament are especially fitting in this season of Advent when we wait with hope for a Savior. Lament is a confession that we need a Savior and are longing for a Savior because try as we may, we are not able to save ourselves. We can work ourselves silly trying to better the environment, create more just and safe places for the marginalized, and to live with kindness and love in our lives. This is good and important work. It's the work that we are called to as Christians. However, until Jesus comes back, we will be in the in-between time, the waiting time when all things will be made perfect and right once Jesus comes back. A prayer of lament realizes this. That even though we now participate in the work of justice and peace, even though we are trying to make the world better, we rely on God to do the ultimate work. We need God. We humans are not about to bring about the world's liberation. Only God can do that. Lament is very simply saying, God help me. I can't do this on my own but I know that you have the power to. So show up. I need you. Lament connects to the core of who we are. It brings out our deepest desires, pain, fear, and longing to God and trusting that God hears it 
sees us, listens, and acts. Lament is actually an audacious, courageous, and holy act. It's praying with the core of our being, exposed and vulnerable before God, who made us and knows us. Scripture is full of prayers of lament and teaching that God holds values and hears our prayers of lament. I'm always telling the youth of Linwood, normally they're in here during the service, but I'm, I'm always telling them in our time together um, that the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. And when you don't have the words to say, it's really easy. You just go to the Bible and you open it up in the middle and you're in the Psalms. The Psalms are full of prayers, of both praise and lament. You heard one psalm of lament um, that was read for us from Jean Dean. Um, and there's many more psalms of lament in our scriptures. Here's a couple for you. This is from Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. From Psalm 51. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And this one from Psalm 56. The psalmist prays to God. You have kept count of my tossings, putting my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your record? For me personally, as a pastor and a person, the Psalms have given words to my prayers when I have not had the words or known how to pray. There have been moments in my life where deep pain and sadness have been close friends. And prayer has seemed like the most distant thing from me and the hardest mountain to climb. In those moments, prayers of lament have been the doorway to enter prayer again. They have opened my heart to God when I felt was despair and distance. Early in November, I used some of my continuing education time here at Linwood to go on a retreat to Camp Fowler. It was a retreat focused on teaching nonviolent communication and spiritual direction. And on that retreat, we were given time to write our own psalms of lament. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to read one of them that was written not by me, but another woman on the retreat. To me, the exercise of riding out my laments before God felt like coming home to God and to myself. Lament, as odd as it may seem, is a deep gift and an open door for us to meet God just as we are. There is no hiding, pretending, or freshing up before God in lament. We just show up as we are and trust that God hears us, holds us, and loves us. The Psalms of Lament in Scripture almost always end with praise, which can seem a bit odd given the content. Lament is a doorway to connection to God, and oddly enough, once we pray our laments, frustration, pain, anger, and sadness, we often move towards praise. It's like spitting a bad taste out of your mouth. Once it's out, you finally have the ability to taste goodness again. Lament is truly a declaration of trust in God. It's saying what we hope for and long for from God. It's saying, God, I know that you are goodness. I know that you're love. I know that you're full of mercy and justice. And yet, I'm not seeing those things in my life or in the world. So would you please show up 
because laments are a declaration of trust, it's natural for them to turn towards praise and hope. One of my philosophies as a pastor is to create space for people to listen, pray, and to just be before God. Pastor Garrett and I would like to not only talk about lament today, but to also give you some time to experience it. In a minute, we're going to give you some time to write down laments, and Janeth will play some music for us. In your bulletin, you'll find space to write these laments. I've given you some prompts if you choose to use them. Now, the purpose of this time is to be in the presence of God. You can use this time to write if you want, or you can sit in silence, and that's okay, too. Because the writer of Romans reminds us that the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't even have the words. So silence itself is also a prayer of lament. So come, Holy Spirit. Listen to our prayers as we lament in silence, writing, and stillness before you. Hear our prayers, O Lord.
Lord, hear our prayers. We wanted to close the sermon in our time today with this contemporary song of lament that was written by a woman named Liz Williams at this retreat that I went to, and she um, wrote to me and was glad that I was able to share this with you this morning. And so I'd like to let her words be a prayer for us all together. I look out into the wilderness, a sea of empty faces staring back at me. Storms rage, sea levels rise, wildfires burn encroaching on communities. Anger and hatred are rising up, violence threatens to take hold and rule over. The faithful are falling away, numbed, stunned, and overwrought. I go to the hospital and the rehab and find the collateral human damage, those who have checked out to the oblivion of needles, pills, and alcohol. And I cry out to you, O God, who is left standing? Am I alone in this wilderness of despair? Am I the only one who perceives this great knot of anxiety? Is there no one who has survived this onslaught, who sees what I see? I go out into the wide open space and turn my face to the sky. Where is help? Where is strength? Where is certainty? The winds whip around me and the trees bend and creak. The snow crunches beneath my feet. I hear you say, I am here. I have always been here. I will prevail. And I turn my face and look at the faces of the lost ones, the struggling ones, the fearful ones, and I see the face of Jesus. Then you say, here is the work. I am with you. My hope is in you, God. You are so much greater than the storms and the fears and the violence of the world. And you are so much greater than my despair and my aloneness. And so I begin a hymn of praise. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. Very slowly and very quietly, one voice joins, then another and another. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh God, our Savior, in you we place our hope and in you hold our laments. For the pain of the world, we lift up these prayers to you. And for our deep hope in you, we give you thanks. Hold us, holy God, as you meet us in this waiting season of Advent, of longing and hope and lament for your full return and bring about full justice and peace in the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.